Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Canon's online auction will be selling items from the sets of a familiar series that was shot in Virginia. The auction takes place this Thursday and Friday, the 28th and 29th. Proceeds will go directly to growing and supporting the film industry in Virginia. I'll post a link to the auction on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. That's what I'm talking about. Don't panic. Just breathe. That rather dramatic music accompanies the trailer for this week's mini film fest. In October 2020, Cadence commissioned five writers to write screenplays for their Sightlines BLM program. Three of the shorts were produced by local casts and crews, and they'll be presented at a mini-film festival called Action at 1 p.m. on Saturday, October 14th at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Admission is free. Omiyemi Green, professor of theater and Africana studies at William & Mary, served as program director, and she talks about the creation of the films and the upcoming event. Sifter Review of the Week. The Other Black Girl on Hulu. This is some get-out shit. That's a line spoken by the protagonist halfway through this series, which hints at the potential ambiguity to come. Ashley Murray plays the only black employee at a New York publishing house when the titular character shows up, played by Sinclair Daniel. They bond over their sisterhood, but something seems amiss. The initial issue around a new book presents challenges that resonate through the rest of the series. The first half of this series rolls along with smart dialogue and intriguing characters. The second half delves into the more sinister angles of the story, which loses a bit of its pace and edge. Even so, Murray and Daniel are compelling as they navigate their friendship and potential success. There are some potent messages about systemic racism, but the bigger picture of relationships makes for an engaging watch. I gave the other black girl three and a half out of five stars. I'm talking with Omiyemi Green, who is a professor down at William & Mary. Welcome to Sifter, Omi. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you again. We talked uh, probably a year ago, I guess it was, we did a profile on you for VCU. Yes. And that time you mentioned this, and that's why uh, six, eight months later, I contacted you back and say, okay, it's time to talk about Sightlines BLM. Why don't you give us the nutshell what that is? In 2020, as the world continued uh, to think about how it was going to move forward in the midst of the dual pandemics, we all found ourselves navigating um, as a member of the board of directors for Cadence, uh, I participated in conversations with the rest of the board about how Cadence was going to move forward and or respond to everything um, that we were facing as a as a world, <laughs> uh, and right. certainly particularly uh, the city of Richmond and what our place could be in that. We decided that the best use of an existing program, which was Sightlines, was to add a new initiative to it through which we commissioned five writers of the global majority, some students, some professionals, and then we had other members of the community adjudicate which ones would rise to the top. And so the ones that are part of the festival action, uh, which we're gearing up for in October the 14th specifically, were the ones that rose to the top. So that's interesting. You mentioned that action. So why the title action? 
We want to know how do we move a conversation forward? We've been talking a lot as a world, as a nation, and particularly the city of Richmond. And so we really want to, of course, conversation is important. Listening to one another is important. But how can we move this conversation forward into some concrete actions? Right. Just to clarify for the listeners, you had five people selected. They wrote short one-act plays. They didn't write screenplays or did they write screenplays originally? So they gave us short treatments uh, for stories that they may develop later into screenplays. And so the first leg of the process was to receive those treatments and then to adjudicate the treatment. And then a few months later, they would submit a screenplay. Uh Um, There were a couple of parameters that each of the writers had to abide by. It had to be staged at some place that engaged memory around the city of Richmond. And of course, that meant it had to be outside. It also had to have a small cast. For money, obviously, to save money on that one. But so <laughs> what, what was the decision for having it on a place that people would recognize? Because all three of them obviously are, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Why that, as opposed to just in a safe studio where you can control the environment? Because the conversations that were happening as a result of the dual pandemics were now happening outside, right? We weren't gathering together in the same place as we traditionally would. And so these conversations, because it was safer, (laughs) were happening outside. I mean, it was even a consideration for us in the filming production process, you know, trying to stay six feet apart. Are we masking? Are we not masking? Checking temperatures, all of the things, right? The goal was to create new work, to create work that was certainly responsive to the time and to keep everybody involved in the process safe. Now, there were the three final ones were still fighting that Margaret Joyner wrote and directed. Yes, And then the second one, Bleach, that Brittany Fisher wrote, and I believe you directed that one. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then finally, Break, that D.L. Hopkins wrote and directed and was featured in as well. Yes. So interestingly, all three of these people are pretty well known in the Richmond theater community already. So was that just a coincidence that they happened to be kind of accomplished? Um, I should actually, I should say it with the exception of Brittany, because she's not, I, I, I didn't know who Brittany Fisher was, but the others were pretty established members of the community. Yes. Um, and I think it's good that we have some inclusion of individuals who are known uh, within the community because, you know, they're held in high regard by those who we hopefully will come and see the work, right? right? So the program features, you know, Richmond's own, right? People who are recognized um, leaders and artists and contributors to this kind of work in the community. I think that's a good thing. And obviously there are people shooting it and lighting it and working sound. Where did you find all the technical support for these? We have a wonderful producer, Anna Johnson, the Managing and Artistic Director of Cadence. And much of the personnel on the production were individuals that the producer, Anna, gathered. Some come from VCU, some come from, you know, our respective professional networks, um, a consideration among production staff was also to make sure that we were including members of the global majority. And so I had a chance to work with a colleague, Mike Harris, Ilm Snug, who created original music for Bleach, which is Brittany's work and the one that I directed. 
Um, and I do believe Hassan Washington was another individual that had worked on some other cadence projects um, to create leadership opportunities and artistic opportunities for those who may not always get those opportunities on some of the stages in the city. That's interesting. As you use that expression, global majority, it's pretty obvious what it means, but that is a new phrase I haven't heard used as often. Yeah. As we're talking about, you know, how we refer to individuals, you know, who are of color, you know, I'm also really conscious that the, our population demographics are going to be shifting here as we right. get closer and closer, you know, to points in the future. And so those who may be considered in minority populations or underrepresented populations are actually going to end up demographically being those of the majority, right? And so this is just a way to kind of shift the cultures. We think about the kind of language we use, you know, to talk about underrepresented artists. Interesting. That's great. Surprise guest drop in. Anna, welcome. Hello. Hi. Footnote. Anna Johnson is the Artistic and Managing Director of Cadence. Omi was just talking about you a few minutes ago, so perfect timing. Oh, uh, I hope it's good. Oh, yes. Hey, always, how always. are you? You're oh, great. wow. How are you? I'm well. First of all, I noticed in all the publicity for this and in the trailer, it says Cadence. Mm -hmm. Is it no longer Cadence Theater? Well, we went through a branding study during the pandemic and during Black Lives Matter. We started to um, do film work and Cadence Theater Company really doesn't encompass all that we do. So um, officially, we're still Cadence Theater Company. And then we have a lot of other programs that come underneath our umbrella, Cadence Cinema, Film and TV. Cadence Black Lives Matter, Cadence Theater, and then we have a ton of educational programs. Omi was pretty good at telling me how this got started, but I just wanted to get your perspective. How did you find Omi in the first place to get her involved? The way Omi originally got engaged with us was I was directing um, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins Appropriate, or Appropriate, however you want to um, call it, right. which is actually opening on Broadway uh, pretty soon or in, in New York. So Omi came in as the dramaturg and um, because it deals with a lot of issues having to do with our history in the South as white people. And she was definitely able to help educate all of us. And then she joined our board and then she um, she became very busy. So she, she's now just a advising us and running this program for us. But she's also an amazing film director. And she she's actually going to be directing our subsequent episodes of Bloodlines, which is our TV series. Footnote. Bloodlines is a horror-based TV series that Caden is producing with young people and adults. It explores the chilling impact of generational racism and its influence on the present. Tell me a little bit about, I know there's some other stuff this is going to be showing, as Omi mentioned, on October 14th at the Museum of History and Culture. There's going to be some Q&A and a welcome mm -hmm. table. Tell us a little bit about what that's about. Well, our goal, especially in these times when true conversations about our history are being suppressed, we wanted to provide an opportunity for people to come together, not only to watch a film and 
walk away with a message, but to actually do some work with some experts in the community. So um, the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities is mentoring us to help us work on conversations that we can have for community members to really put it out there to help us all understand that unless conversations happen, we're just going to be going backwards, especially in Richmond, Virginia, that has such a loaded history. It'll be a a very memorable experience, I feel, and I just look forward to to learning a lot myself. Great. Well, thank you so much for dropping in. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Omi, I'll talk to you soon, probably. All right. I know you will. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about Bleach, which is the one that you directed. Tell me about Brittany Fisher first and who she was and what her concept was. Yeah, so Brittany Fisher is a wonderful up-and-coming uh, playwright who has been working really close with Cadence and is currently working on new work at the Eugene O'Neill Conference. Wow. And this was an opportunity, you know, for us to think about conversations that some populations were already having around how we navigate race um, and systemic oppression and enter it into an artistic arena, right? And it was also an opportunity for us to be in conversation with an existing wonderful piece of work, Kehinde Wiley's uh, Rumors of War at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, who Kehinde and the VMFA were wonderfully gracious in allowing us to feature, you know, this work in our work. And you were lucky because it was a beautiful day. Yes. (laughs) I remember that day so distinctly because prior to the shoot, I was walking around outside in the grass. It felt so good. I took my shoes off. And it was one of those moments that inspired, I think, what you will see when you watch the film, you know, this brief moment where our feet are touching the earth and what that really means. A key part of Bleach is how we are able to find some peace in the midst of what feels like a lot of wahala, a lot of chaos, a lot of war. Hence, you know, we're right in front of the rumors of war uh, statue. Footnote. In case you're completely in the dark, Rumors of War is the statue created by Kehinde Wiley that stands in front of the VMFA. It's an equestrian statue like the ones that used to be on Monument Avenue, but the writer is a contemporary black man with dreads and Nikes. First of all, the title of that short, Bleach. It's obviously explained in the documentary, but I thought you might want to explain to the listeners what that title is about. It's a reminder that there are elements of our past that cannot simply be just erased simply because the icon, the symbol, the relic is not there, right? Uh, So, for example, the fact that the statues are gone off Monument Avenue doesn't erase the memory or the discussion. Correct. And I like that you use the word memory because that, again, then ties back to, you know, why we wanted uh, our commissioners to, you know, consider the conversations that were happening in these places of commemoration of memory. Um, And memory is such a key part of my work in general, things that I do beyond cadence. It's it's centered in my teaching and then my other publications. And so naturally, um, when I read Bleach, 
you know, I, I raised my hand as, you know, a viable contender. Ah, uh-huh, to direct it. Oh, you <laughs> to, didn't just say, I'm going to do it. You said, let me do it, please. No, no. no. I, <laughs> I put my hand, you know, my hand in the air. And... Let's talk about the other two a little bit. Still Fighting, which Margaret Joyner wrote and directed. Do you mm-hmm. want to give us a little nutshell of what that one's about? So we're at the Virginia War Memorial, another individual who has participated in these protests in support of Black Lives Matter has gone to the Virginia War Memorial for inspiration uh, and an opportunity to reflect. Um, And while there, they encounter two individuals, one of whom had participated um, in serving our country you know, the young person is really wrestling with why we continue to have these same kind of conversations over and over again in our historical past. And what's the point? (laughs) We're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep coming back and forth, you know, to it. And so he gets inspiration. It's an intergenerational conversation, which I really love because we have our elders, you know, talking to our young people about the importance of conversation for one and a connection between them. Um, And two, that if we don't reflect on the past, that as you know, we are going to be doomed to repeat it. It does add an interesting perspective to hear it from the two different generations like that. Absolutely. And I have to just comment as as a film reviewer, Alexan Scheller? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I have to say the cinematography in that one is really noticeable. Who is Alexan? Alexan is also, he was a board member. He was actually on the rebranding committee I mean, that Anna referenced earlier. And he has been doing a lot of the editing for the trailers, you know, many of the films involved in the work. In addition to working on our other major project, which is Bloodlines, and Anna was alluding to that, so much of this has been accomplished because of Alexan's creativity um, and and gift of time. Now, the third film was written and directed and also features D.L. Hopkins. You want to give us a little nutshell on that one? I believe the inspiration was from a real live event where he was having this, you know, conversation about an invitation that he had received (laughs) (laughs) And wouldn't you know, we are actually having dinner at a plantation. And so the thing I love about this film is the way in which it literally goes back in time, conjuring up or tapping into a little bit of magical realism. And so as they are traveling (laughs) to dinner at this plantation, they are literally in a real way moving back into time in a moment when he was younger taking a tour of same said plantation and that work actually features my son. Oh, really? <laughs> so not only yeah. Cool. <laughs> so DL was working with his son in the work and my son is in this work as well. Cool. Now let me ask you about that cuz it's interesting because I noticed there's one scene where they drive slowly by and you see in the car window a cross being burned. Did you actually stage a cross and shoot a reflection or was that some kind of special effect? That's special effect. Alexan again? Alexa, we would not want to <laughs> traumatize anyone on the production team in that way. I would think so. So I also noticed that it was actually shot at Historic Westover Plantation. Tell me how that worked. Anna, wonderful producer, has done a yeoman's job of building some community uh, partnerships and networks as a result of this work and some other things. And so in some conversations, Historic Westover Plantation, you know, came about extremely gracious in hosting us, you know, on that day. 
and creating space to enter into this conversation. Great. Right. About, you know, our past. And so it was really a request. The request was honored. (laughs) Great, great. And here we are. I'm assuming by now, I know that a lot of places do, that they are recognizing the enslaved people and they're acknowledging that in some way. I do think that part of their own work was to, you know, consider some uh, burial grounds Uh that may be present, you know, within the community. Um, And so I think everybody in this moment is really reckoning with their past. Um, And however we can do that in ways that are going to be productive and that are going to lead to, you know, justice and reconciliation within the community is everybody's goal. And I mentioned on the 14th, there's going to be Q&A and they're also going to be welcome tables. Tell me what that's about. I want to take what would have been a customary Q&A a step further, right? So we're going to screen the films. We're going to provide an opportunity for the uh, audiences, the witnesses to engage with the artists. We're going to provide a little historical context because we have to, right? All sure. of these films were staged at you know historic places within the city. But then... I want to actually give the audience members an opportunity to engage with each other around the work. So typically with the Q&A, you know, we're in the seeing place and the audience, the witnesses are here and, you know, everyone is there and there's a bit of a barrier. I want to create what we call welcome tables, riffing on, you know, a concept that James Baldwin introduced to us, you know, based on some work that Josephine Baker was doing at these long tables or short tables. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're referencing Lois Weaver's long table there, right? Indeed, indeed. But we don't know if the tables are going to be long or not. (laughs) Right. Footnote. To expand on that concept... Black playwright James Baldwin had an unfinished play called The Welcome Table, and Lois Weaver's Long Tables was an experimental open public forum designed to facilitate dialogue. But at these tables, uh, we're going to have a public dialogue, inviting as many people uh, who want to participate to engage and leave space for others to observe and maybe come in at their will. Uh, the goal is to have at least three because we're going to have three, you know, films that we're screening. Right. And at each table, we will be discussing, you know, one film and we're going to set some ground rules. And this is why we have the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities coming in um, to help train uh, us so that we can be facilitators soft facilitators, because I really want the conversation to be driven by the individuals at the table, but to be there as a guide and to be there to support, you know, in the event that others begin to feel as if um, the conversation is not as inclusive as we want it to be, right? or if individuals begin to feel unsafe. Good point. Good point. Yeah, that's important. I noticed twice you called not the audience members viewers, but witnesses. Tell me what your reasoning is behind that. (laughs) Yeah, uh, a lot of my training and inspiration for my work comes out of the Black church. And I always think about the scholars and the artists who think of Black art as an opportunity to testify. And the only way you can testify is if there is a witness, right? Somebody's got to see it. Right. And so that language kind of comes from, you know, my own aesthetic practice informed by, of course, the Black church. 
and those scholars um, and artists who also ground their work in spirituality. Interesting. Very interesting. One last question I always like to ask everybody is when you're not working on this or some of your work down at William & Mary, what do you like to watch? Right now, I'm watching The Other Black Girl on Hulu. It's amazing <laughs> you say that because I think that's the best thing on TV. It's really, it's getting scary. I watched it the last two episodes last night. It's really well written and really well acted. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because that's my top of the list right now. Mm-hmm. Anything mm-hmm. else? No, not one thing in particular. I'm either trying to, you know, read something <laughs> in preparation for class or right. I'm working on Alice Childress's wedding band for Southern Illinois University Carbondale. So that's kind of high on the list right now. Oh. So watching TV is <laughs> not so. Well, that's great that you're watching that one because I'm going to be reviewing it within a couple of days because it is a really good show. Good. So good. only I want to thank you again. This has been fascinating. It's great to hear more about Sightlines BLM. And unfortunately, I will be in London on the 14th, so I won't be there, but I want to wish you good luck on the 14th for the big premiere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And safe travels to you. You may remember my review of The Other Black Girl, which was at the front of this show. The interview today featured Omi Emmy Green, program director of the Sightlines BLM Action, a mini film fest that's playing 1 p.m. Saturday, the 14th of October, at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Admission is free. Coming soon in theaters. If you heard my show with B.K. Fulton a couple weeks ago, you heard him talk about this movie on which he was one of the executive producers. It stars Uma Thurman and Samuel L. Jackson in an art scheme that involves murder. The creator, John David Washington, plays a man faced with an AI entity in the form of a little girl. Saw X, or 10. Tobin Bell returns as the serial torturer, and it's set between the first two films. Flora and Son. From the writer-director of the musical movie Once, this new film features Eve Hewson, a.k.a. Bono's daughter, who learns to play the guitar to relate to her son. It opens on Apple TV on the 29th. Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. After a magical meteor lands in Adventure City, the pups develop superpowers. Muzzle. In a very different dog adventure, Aaron Eckhart stars as a cop who gets involved in the underworld. TV and streaming. Sweetwater on Hulu, a documentary about NBA Hall of Famer Nat Sweetwater Clifton. Gen V on Prime. From the world of The Boys comes this new series about the first generation of superheroes who know their powers come from Compound V. Nowhere on Netflix, a young pregnant woman escaping her war-torn country ends up in a maritime container where she must fight to survive and have her baby. The Golden Bachelor on ABC. This new version of the popular dating show features competitors in their golden years. Snake Oil on Fox, David Spade hosts a competition with people presenting unique products, some of which are fake. Encounters on Netflix, a documentary about UFO sightings, including new evidence, and hopefully using the new phrase, UAPs. You know you can subscribe to this podcast on all the usual platforms, or you can visit TV Jerry, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. Next week features an accomplished documentary director whose newest film will be featured at this year's Virginia Film Festival. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.